Um, this is my final uh, sermon on the topic that I've been doing in Nuts and Bolts, which has been evangelism. And uh, uh, week one, the very first sermon on this, we basically spent the time establishing that, uh, that our Bibles make it really clear, make, make our, uh, our primary purpose on earth as believers one of witnessing or evangelizing uh, the gospel of Christ. This is primarily why we're here. And we looked at that uh, clearly seen uh, in our scriptures. Part two was our disposition, right, as evangelists, so uh, that we are approachable, we're adjustable, uh, we're accessible. Uh, and then the third one we kind of dealt with, uh, last time we dealt with practicalities of the evangelistic interaction, like what that might look like and things that will help us and, and kind of guide us and aid us in that process. And then uh, today's going to be the final one, which is going to be about you and about your life and the way you live and what you do and what you don't do. Um, so I, I want to promise you as we start that I offended myself multiple times writing this. And uh, I am an equal opportunity offender, so you might be offended too, uh, but, but there were, uh, just bear with me, all right? This was a, a challenge of a sermon in ways for me. Um, let's start by qualifying it with a passage, if you would turn with me to the book of Elizabeth, um, <laughs> otherwise known as First Peter. First Peter. And for the sake of time, we're just going to do a little portion of this. We could do a, a big chunk of it, but we're going to be in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And this is going to sound a little bit like our invocation that we have today, which says this, starting in verse 9 of chapter 2. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. There's the gospel, right? Preeminent in why we're here in our lives. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, this is basically outsiders, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." There was a saying um, that was pretty popular when I was a young believer that was floating around uh, that sounded like this. Share the gospel in all that you do, and when necessary, use words. I don't know if you've heard that saying. It sounds kind of cool. Uh, it's got a problem to it because the gospel is actually a communication of a message. It's the greatest story ever told, the greatest message ever told. It is something that we speak. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And yet, if we pay a little bit of attention to what we just read uh, in 
Peter here. Um, Peter is saying something that would suggest that our lives, now that God has done this thing to us and made us his, are going to reflect that which we've been made. And this is what we're going to talk about today. This is also a valid witness or testimony in the life of the believer, is how we live. How we live. Um, the state, this, that statement's kind of cool. I like this one better. This is by Vody Bauckham. He said, you want to know what a person's worldview is? Don't ask them what they believe. Just watch how they live. I like that. You want to know what a person's worldview is? Don't ask what they believe. Just watch how they live. This is a valid statement because what we really truly believe, not just mouth, informs how we conduct our lives. Everybody, whether you're a believer or not a believer, this is simply true. What we do and how we do it is a result of what we actually believe. Not only that, but for the Christian, it is true that our lives and the way that we live before God and unto God is a valid and powerful testimony to the watching world. It is valid. Not only do our epistles teach us this, Jesus taught us this. Places like Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. What does Jesus mean by saying that? How are we salt and light, right? Let your light so shine before others that they may what? See, see your good deeds or your good works and glorify, this is what we're going for, this is what we're hoping for, glorify your Father who is in heaven as a result of what they see, right? Jesus is speaking of our works here. He's speaking of our deeds here and the way that we live being a valid testimony, right? Um, a, a witness in drawing people's eyes up, in drawing people's eyes to God. It is evident to all when we live according to righteousness that God is true, that God is real, that God is valid. This is most evidently true when we come across someone who professes Christ but lives the opposite. I know you have done this. I have done this. Where I've been out somewhere, whether it be in public or wherever it is, and you're around a bunch of people, and maybe you're with someone who's talking horribly like the language they use, maybe even the things they're talking about. Maybe, maybe they've even had too much to drink and they're falling around and they're just like everything about them is despicable and then at some point in the conversation it comes up that I'm a pastor and then all of a sudden that person's like, oh, I'm a Christian too. And it's so disgusting. It is like the most disgusting. It's so hypocritical when you see it happen, Right? It is true, whether we like it or not, that how we live can point people to God or point people away from God. Peter, in this text, is certainly confirming that a real faith in Jesus will and should manifest in real ways for Jesus. Let me say that again. Peter here is confirming that a real faith in Jesus will manifest in real ways for Jesus. That if God has set you apart your life will look a little bit apart from someone, else, from someone else's. And he's no doubt confirming that when a real faith is producing real works, the world will sit up and it will take notice. They may not like it, they may shrink back from it, but they may also consider the reason why. And we're going to get here shortly. 
and they might even be saved too, right? What Peter is not saying here is that if we belong to Christ, we will have to try extra hard to produce a righteousness of our own. A lot of people will find this opposing gospel in the book of James to that which Paul preached, right? I don't know if you've ever met a Lutheran, but if you have a Lutheran friend, they like that, like this will come up often, okay? Paul teaches clearly over and over again in all of his writings that we are justified, we are saved by faith in Christ alone plus nothing. That's it. Faith alone. You get to James and James says, no, you're not justified by faith alone. You're justified by faith plus works. And it seems to be a complete contradiction. But it is not a contradiction. Because what James is focusing on is the fact that a saving faith is not alone. A saving faith is not alone. It is not empty. It is, it is not um, void of any weight. It is not just this passive thing that hangs in the ether. But the gift, the faith that God gives through his gift in Jesus Christ that comes into us and changes us also gives us works that he prepared hand that, beforehand that we should walk in. It's not an empty faith. It is a transforming faith that God gives us that saves so Peter's definitely not saying that we're going to have to try really hard. Guys, just try harder to be better now that God's done this thing for you, right? Rather, what he's saying is that because we belong to Christ, we have been made something new. And because we have been made something new, we are to walk now in new things, in new things. We will become like that which we belong to. We will become like that which we belong to. And if it is Christ, then our life becomes a living testimony, an active witness that is like Christ to an onlooker, to an outsider. The question may be, how, how does that work? Like in what way? Well, in, in, in that those who are outside, when they look at us, will see when they look at us something different, something different, something unique. Uh, the King James says peculiar. That's the word that it uses, uh, which doesn't mean weird. We already talked about that. If you're a Christian, don't be weird. Don't be weird for Jesus, okay? We don't need any more of that. Uh, but you are strange, peculiar, and a stranger. This is a strong testimony. Our lives and how we live, it piques interest when people see it. It, piques, it sparks curiosity. It grabs attention, which might lead to gospel opportunity. And we'll come back to that. The bottom line is how we live matters. What we do matters. How we do it matters. Even what we don't do matters. Our conduct as a people of God is a strong, powerful evidence and testimony of who we are, what we believe, to a people who otherwise wouldn't care. Okay? Having said that, there's a small list that I've thrown together this morning that might aid us a little bit in how or ways that we can be different as Christians or peculiar in this world that is getting increasingly more backwards and sideways and upside down and contrary to the things of God, there are so many options that you and I have, so many opportunities to live in a way that is different than everything else that we see out there today. I'm going to look at a couple of them. Here's my brief, do you want to be different list. I need water first. Again, 
I offended myself first plenty of times when I was writing this, okay? Do you want to be different? Be a person of integrity. These people are hard to find anymore. Be honest in your dealings and your actions. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Be a person of conviction. Not blown about by the dictation of others or your own feelings and your own emotions. Be steadfast in what is right. Be established. Be consistent. Be reliable. Be dependable. Be able to be counted on due to being stable. You want to be different? Be a good employee or a good employer if that's what you are. Do your job well. No matter where you work, who you work under, how much you make or how much you hate what you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it as an act of worship. Whether you're mistreated or not, whether you're appreciated or not, whether you're looked over or not, whether you're underpaid or not, because your Father who is in heaven is looking. He cares about how you do what you're doing. So do your job as if he was your boss, because he is every single day. Do it with a good attitude. Do it with gratitude. Do it as if you may make a difference in the world by doing it as best as you possibly can, no matter how insignificant or menial the task may seem. You want to be different? Don't gossip. Don't be a divisive person. We're going to jump all over the place. That's just the way it's going to go. Have, have, you know, it's going to be a weird trip. Don't gossip if you want to be different. Don't be a divisive person if you want to be different. Don't tear people down with your tongue. Don't tear people down with your words. Don't tear people down with your speech, especially in front of other people, which makes it gossip. Yeah, even if you feel you have cause to, even if you feel justified in doing it, even if they did something wrong towards you, even if it seems valid, speak life, speak honorably, speak beneficially on the behalf of others, or speak nothing at all. Even if everybody who is present is dogpiling, do not join them. In fact, undo the pile. Turn the conversation. Be a verbal difference maker if you want to be different. If you want to be different, I'm available afterward. Don't give your allegiance to a political party. I'm not saying don't have convictions. I'm not even saying don't register to vote. I'm saying do not give your allegiance to a political party, meaning do not build your identity on a political party. We have this wrong today. Many Christians have this wrong today. This is not your identity. Jesus is your identity. Don't be categorized or known or identified by others by a political party. Rather, be defined as someone having ideas and wisdom that is from above. Be identified as a Christ follower, a Christ follower not a man follower. Always siding with that which is true and pure and good and right. Not just that which is on the left or the right. This requires being objective. This is something we have lost as human beings. It's hard to find an objective thinker anymore. It requires being objective. Again, being wise, thinking critically about something, thinking outside the box according to the dictation of Scripture rather than a pre-established social category that you have been assigned. 
be able and ready to cross party lines when Jesus crosses party lines. Be willing to stand fast when Jesus stands fast on something. Be a free thinker for Jesus, not a sheep of the political power of the day. Be a sheep of the Son of God. Base your convictions on what is right in any given specific issue rather than what is expected of you due to how you've registered to vote. Jesus approves of this message. <laughs> promise, I promise you, even if you're mad right now, he approves of this message. Okay, good. You want to be different? Fight for your marriage, not against it. Fight for your marriage, not against it. Put in the work every day. Be an overcomer every moment. Stay when it's hard. Don't run because it's easy. Love when it's challenged. Show the world what commitment looks like. Show the world what covenant relationship looks like. Show the world what God has brought together no man can tear apart looks like. Even when they all look at it, everybody around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, they look at your marriage and they say you're stupid for staying in it. Show the world what the gospel looks like in marriage by staying. Dispense gospel in your marriage when it makes no sense because that is what makes it the gospel. That is what makes it so different and amazing and peculiar. If you want to be different, men who are single, do not take women to your bedroom. Take them to church. Treat sex as if it's sacred because it is. Not as a recreational activity. Model purity, promote purity, protect purity, not promiscuity. Fight your desires, don't surrender to them. Fight your temptations, don't give in to them. Fight the culture, don't conform to it. Wage war against your members. Live as though sex is sacred, because it is. You want to be different, married Christian men? Lead your families spiritually. Lead your family spiritually. Do not sit back. Do not be passive. Do not be neutral. Do not be casual. Don't wait for your wife to make the first move. Don't wait for her to lead. Establish the spiritual initiative. Set the pace. Adjust the thermostat spiritually in your home. Trailblaze a path to Jesus for everybody in your house to access and walk on. Be the leader into all good things. Be the difference maker in your home for Jesus. Men. You want to be different? Protect, value, and strive for a sober mind. I know I'm going to get busted on this one. I'm just going to say it. Don't smoke, don't smoke pot. Don't get high. Likewise, don't get drunk. Don't medicate. Don't mentally escape or check out. My dad used to say this thing, um, this little saying to me when I was a kid. My mom would get mad. Everybody's doing it, doing it, doing it, picking their nose and chewing it, chewing it. You know what I mean? You ever heard? Yeah. It's a good thing to stick in your brain right now. Um, this is like pot culture today to me. It's weird to me how when something becomes legal, Christians think that God is completely cool with it. Would you like me right now to go through all the ways that does not work? I think you know, and so do I. The Christian should enjoy a clear head, a clear head. Value a clear mind. In fact, protect it, protect it. 
God values a sound, sober mind far above a numb body and brain. Value clean emotions, accurate thoughts, clear discernment, a real, authentic, conscious, and present relationship with him and with others that comes with a sober mind. Drunkenness, I already mentioned that. Likewise, same thing there. You want to be different? Don't, do, don't overdrink. Don't party. Don't abuse your alcohol consumption. And if you can't do it, just don't drink. Just don't drink. Again, love sober-mindedness, love clarity, love control. If you don't possess any control, don't drink. Just don't drink. And, and if you don't drink, if you, if you can't drink because you don't do it right, don't be ashamed of it. Be relieved that you don't have to, you know? Like, be blessed, be free, be different. Value your sober-mindedness above all your other freedoms. If you want to be different, the next time a major catastrophic event happens, stay calm. Stay calm. We saw this a few years ago when COVID happened. In the church, I could not believe what I saw. Next time something major happens, Christian, stay calm. Exercise your faith. Display it before others. Do not react like the world does. Do not panic like the world does. Keep your head screwed on and your heart guarded by the one who is over all things that come to pass. Do you believe that? When the world around us is falling apart, remain calm in that disaster. Remain hopeful. Remain anchored to God in turmoil and in crisis. There is a reason why people file into churches when disaster strikes. Assure them that it is valid by the way that you are anchored in God. Similar to this, if you want to be different, suffer well. This is, this is hard. This is just straight up hard. Suffer well. Let peace reign in your storm. Act as if Jesus is in the boat with you. Because he is. Thank you. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Don't broadcast your disapproval every chance that you get. Be composed. Be content. Be still. Be still. Be assured. Be certain of who it is you've put your trust in. Be assured that the God of the universe sees you and is for you in that place and cares for you. Suffer well, persevere well. You want to be different? Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Extend grace. Extend mercy. Extend that which is contrary to your nature or to what seems right and what seems just in the moment with that person. Be generous. Be forgiving. Turn the other cheek. This is a gospel love that cannot be ignored when it is seen and dispensed. Do not give in to the flesh. Do not give in to the gratification of the populace. Do not give in to Satan. Love the unlovable. Forgive the unforgivable. Remain with the despicable. Be patient with those who do not deserve it. Be kind to those who do not deserve it. Be generous towards those who do not deserve it. Love your enemy. Extend gospel. Make a loud statement by not reacting to people the way other people expect you to. You want to be different, be humble. In fact, be confessional even if you want to be different. Be honest with others about you. 
you. Confess your sins often. Repent of your transgressions often. Hate what God hates, love what God loves, and then have the courage to let others in on how you're doing with that. Learn to receive godly counsel often. Learn to, re- to love receiving the voice of others speaking into your life. Be teachable, remain teachable. Be a student, guys. Continuously a student. Ready to learn more. Knowing you haven't arrived. If you want to be different, make your local church family a priority. Ching, ching. Shameless plug. Uh, if it ain't here, somewhere else that is gospel-centered, that's fine too. doesn't have to be here. But if you want to be different, make your local church family a priority, not an afterthought. Not an afterthought, not an option, not a tag-on to your life when there's nothing else better to do. Be committed to gathering. Be committed to sitting under the preached word. Be committed to serving the needs of your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And do it all as if it's the greatest privilege and honor that you've been given in this life. Because it is. It is. Love serving others more than yourself. Make the church your family, not your personal accomplishment or your personal gain or your recreational activity. If you want to be different, be committed to a local church. If you want to be different, be locked into your Bible more than you're locked into anything else. Be locked into your scripture more than you are locked into anything else. Be locked into scripture more than you're locked into social media. I know this is a hard challenge, but it's a good one. Drink from a living well instead of a shallow, polluted one. Stop relying on fake news when you've been given access to real news, applicable news, beneficial news, life-giving news, good news. If you want a trustworthy and reliable news source, here it is. How many of these do you have at home? Here it is. If you immerse yourself in the Bible, I guarantee it will make you different. I promise you. It'll make you different. Not only that, but when you come to your Bible, stop trying to ignore or change Scripture that's been written to change you. It is not our job to come to the Bible and scrutinize it. It's its job to scrutinize us. This is the Word of God. This is ultimate authority and truth. It has the upper hand. Stop messing with things that you don't like. Just receive it and be changed by it. Be changed by it. Don't play with it when you come. Let scriptures inform your worldview rather than the ever-changing culture of the day that's right outside these walls. Ever-changing. Daily almost. Don't let anything get in between you and the word of God. Don't find reasons not to go there. Find everything else as a secondary reason to going there, okay? We could have done this just as a a congregational exercise this morning and just sat here and thrown out stuff. Probably be here till tomorrow. We could go on and on and on. The bottom line is that there are a ton of opportunities for you and I to live different and look different in this world that we live in. It's funny, when I was, um, when I was young, uh, ever from the time that I could remember and start perceiving things around me, um, I always thought I was different. I always thought I was different, and not in a good way. 
uh, in, a, in, a, in a very um, inferior way. I thought I was different than everybody. I thought everybody else knew something that I didn't know. Like, that's just what it felt like. Didn't matter if I was on a sports team. It didn't matter if I was, um, you know, just the friend circle at school or, or, or even at church in Sunday school when everyone else is sitting around popping off their memory verse as if they're superheroes and I'm over there like an idiot in the corner. You know what I mean? I always felt like people knew something that I didn't know. I always felt like there was a memo that went out, you know, that I didn't get. Um, and so from that early point on, I, it was my endeavor to be like everybody else. I tried chasing growing up whatever I needed to chase and whatever I needed to do to look like other people and sound like other people and act like other people and think like other people and live like other people. I just wanted to belong. And then Jesus saved me. And it was the first time in my entire life that I ever truly belonged somewhere. Warts and all. <laughs> Stupidity and all. In fact, he saves the foolish. So it was, you know, it was perfect. It was perfect for me. Right? And I felt like I was home. And not only that, but as I started to grow in my relationship with Christ, I noticed that I also then wanted to start to be different for a change than everybody else around me. The whole thing started reversing and unfolding because he's changing my heart. He's giving me new desires. He's giving me a, a new worldview, right? I'm now starting to hate the things that I used to love and love the things that I used to hate, and I'm, I'm being sanctified and transformed, brainwashed in a good way, right? In righteousness, and, and then the world became ugly. And the typical things that I would see around me and others became ugly. I mean, not in a self-righteous way, right? Don't get me wrong. But I then found that I wanted to be different again in a different kind of way than before, right? This is kind of what we're talking about here. Um, once I was born again, I found myself for the first time wanting to be unlike the world rather than like the world. By belonging to him, I began to like the idea of not looking like everybody else and thinking like everybody else, and acting like everybody else, and living like everybody else. It even grew appealing to me, right? And uh, it was because of Christ in me, the supernatural work of God in me. And I hope that you have some of this too. This is where faith is not alone. If you've been saved, you are gonna start to see the contradictions between the righteousness of God <laughs> and the things of the world, and they're gonna start to bother you. We need to know here, and this is a comfort this morning, you do not belong here. I do not belong here. This is not my home, and it's not your home either if you belong to Christ, right? You are a stranger. You are an alien here. You are an exile. You are a sojourner in this place. We're all just passing through the wilderness on the way to our promised land. It should feel weird. It should feel odd and it should feel uncomfortable because we do not belong here anymore. As Christians, consider this for a second. 
as Christians, it can be easy for us to sit back on that which we've been saved from and not press into and enjoy that which we've been saved to. Let me say that again. It can be easy for us as Christians to sit back on what we've been saved from, which is awesome, but not press into and enjoy that which we've been saved to. And this is what we've been saved to, good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. See, before Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins, he lived a sinless life. You know why? So that you and I can have that imputed to us, so that we can walk in newness of life that resembles the works that he walked in, right? That's what he has saved us to. Um, this also happens to be that which opens the eyes of the onlooker, the yet saved person. This is our living witness to the gospel of Christ, how we live. This is one of the primary ways that we testify of the gospel that saves. And it may look at first like uh, an ordinary thing. Um, I know when people come across me, I look completely, and I'm cool with that, like an average guy, right? Uh, but as they watch and as they listen and as they observe, they do see something different. They do see something strange by the grace of God. They do see something peculiar. And it's because my entire worldview, that which informs every area of how I approach life and do life, isn't average and isn't ordinary because of what I believe. And it is at this point where the gospel seen can lead to the gospel shared. And this is the point today. This is the final chapter in our evangelistic series, and this is what it means. The way that you live matters because the gospel seen can hopefully, well hopefully, lead to the gospel shared. This is actually where Peter goes in this letter. If you still have it open and you just run your eyes over to chapter 3, um, we have this statement that we're all familiar with. Um, by the way, if you just context before I read this little section, this whole letter is written to a bunch of people that are being ridiculously persecuted. They're being extremely persecuted. These, this church here that Peter's writing to has got it bad by the world. They're, tr they're treating the church so bad, and Peter's letter is, is, is basically like, don't cave. Don't, don't stop doing what you're doing. Don't give in, Right? because the tendency would be to give in under that pressure that's relentless and won't stop and to say something that they shouldn't say or respond to their persecutor in a way that they shouldn't respond. Something that would come out being unchristlike. like so, so basically the whole context is Peter is, is, is saying, don't, don't cave, right? Don't do something stupid. Stand fast, right? And then, so when we get over here to like verse 13 um, in chapter 3, it says, uh, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But, he, uh, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared, here it is, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. 
So, so we like to think of like, you know, be ready to give, you know, to every man an answer, the, the hope that lies within you. We think of like the evolutionist, you know, or the naturalist who comes and stumps us with like some scientific thing. And then we're doing this apologetic thing like the origins of the earth. No, the, the whole context of where that verse comes out of is by Peter saying, live Christ-like. Like, don't, don't, don't stop. And when you live Christ-like, they're going to see it and ask you how in the world it is that you're able to live that way. This is the context of that statement. It's a little different than what we tend to think. This is the point, in other words, where the gospel seen leads to the gospel shared. That's why how you live and how I live matters. And you know what? We're not going to be perfect. If someone follows me around with a camera, that would stink. Just the thought of that stinks. If someone was following me around with a camera and, like, surveilling my house and, like, watching, you know, all of it, just the way I they're going to see me fail. They're going to see you fail. They're going to see me sin. They're going to see you sin. We're going to fall short. And they'll be like, hey, you know, gotcha, right? Uh, that, too, is an opportunity to share the gospel. We get to tell them then why we need Jesus because we've just showed them why. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, it's win-win, right? But, but, what's clear is that you and I have been made something new. We don't have to sit back there and defeat and act the way we've always acted and live the way we've always lived and be bound um, to serve the things that we've always served. Christ has opened the door to the cage that you and I used to be in. We are free now to walk in new things. And when we do walk in new things, he gets the glory and people notice. The way you live is a valid testimony. What you do is a valid testimony. Are we good? Thank you, Jesus, that you accomplished everything on our behalf. That you have accomplished everything that we were completely incapable and unable to accomplish on our own. We thank you that you have gifted us a righteousness that is fixed and set and irrevocable and eternal. I thank you that we are secure because of your final act, because what you did is finished for us. Now that it is, I pray that we would just bleed you, that we would bleed righteousness in our lives and actions, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness in our personal lives, in what we do and how we do it, so that more people may see your work and thus be saved. So help us to walk in this. Help us to be mindful of this every single day. And we ask it in your name. Amen.